Welcome to Bad Movie Brunch with me, Luke, here in Chicago. And me, Katie, here in Los Angeles. Here for a new year. Here in 2019, the, the, the year of Bad Movie Brunch. 2018 was also the year of Bad Movie Brunch, but <laughs> <laughs> every year every year until my dying breath is going to be the year of Bad Movie Brunch. You feel me, Katie? I feel you. I feel you. Oh, very cool. All right, Katie. It was a what a year in cinema we had. Twenty eighteen, the the year that would never end. Seemingly, um, mm-hmm. Black Panther came out eight years ago. Um, <laughs> they've amended the Constitution. Donald Trump has been the president for forty six years. Um, oh, yeah, like the twenty eighteen has been a has been a bitch and a half. But we've been given maybe more content at this point than we've ever been able to chew on in any year previous. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm just getting smacked over the head, like left and right with like the greatest possible, like TV and cinema and Oh my God, books and everything. I like comics. Everything is so good right now. Uh, podcast. There's just never, uh, there's never, there's never enough time to watch and read and see all the things I want to see. That being said, I still tried to see my fair share of, of flicks this year, uh, both good and bad, because I am a cinema whore. What about you? <laughs> I tried uh, my best to watch a lot of cinema this year, too. I uh, I did not go out of my way to watch too many things that were considered bad, Sure, but I did try to give things more of a fair shot at the end of the year, and I'm glad I did, because I saw some things I wouldn't have otherwise. But um, uh, it's always one of those things where I feel like I've seen a lot, but then... I always feel like I didn't see enough because there's always all these things on all these top tens and I'm like, I didn't even come close to seeing that. And it's not because I didn't want to, it's just because it was either like it wasn't showing somewhere in my area sure. or it um it came and went so quickly that it, it was like whiplash. Right. Like I just had I missed it entirely. Yeah. Like literally the movie whiplash or like the idea of whiplash? <laughs> the idea. Okay. Because the movie rocks, right? It, it does. It okay. does. And I would be terrified if J.K. Simmons was yelling at me to go see more movies. Well, I probably st- would. Stay tuned. There might be some more Damien Chazelle on our list. We'll see. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, so I feel like doing a little something different to kick off 2019 just because uh, it, we'd be remiss as a film podcast to not talk about the sort of have like a year in review and talk about movies we liked and movies we disliked, uh, both quote unquote good and bad. Uh, so for a weird change of pace, I honestly feel like we should start off with, you know, top 10 movies we enjoyed of 2018. How do, <laughs> how do you feel about that? I like it. Bring a little positivity into the world. And so I figure we can just go from our list and like, I'll go 10, you go 10 and nine, not you. Mm-hmm. Same, uh, pretty, pretty easy to follow along at home. If you're, if you're using your own lists, uh, and comparing <laughs> with me and Katie, um, but yeah, without further ado, would you like to begin the 2018 year in review, Best Of, by Katie Grotzinger? Best Of? Okay, absolutely. So um, I have a top 10 uh, list here, and I'm actually, I have kind of an odd list because my first three are actually all documentaries. Okay. The the, the movies that I love the most this year were Docs. Are you starting the from the bottom? Being... Sorry, 10, 10 to 1? Oh, you want me to start from the bottom? Yes. Okay. Started from the bottom now. Yeah, we're now we're here. Okay. Don't give me... Yeah, bury okay. the lead. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. So, uh, number 10. Yeah. Avengers Infinity War. Oh, my gosh. Amazing that it made your top 10. Tell me tell me why. I, w- I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Because when I was thinking about... I, when I try to do these lists, I don't go from movies that necessarily, like, 
from a critical perspective, there were better movies that came out this year, but from, I tried to go with my gut and things that I really enjoyed on like a visceral level. And I lost my mind at Avengers Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it would be, I could pretend to be a snob and not put it on here, but that wouldn't be truthful because I just loved it so much. It was like, what, like a three hour long movie. It it held my attention the entire time. Yeah. An epic, truly. And the death scenes were incredible, and I thought the comedy was really great, and the drama really worked for me, and I really miss Gamora, and it's just everything that I was just in it to win it the entire time, and I left feeling so pumped and jazzed. And th- how could you not put that on a top ten? It was it was so enjoyable. I couldn't agree more. I mean, like it's 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 unlike any film we've ever seen. Truly, at this point, it's um it's it's honestly like it's it's a benchmark. I feel like it's a culmination, uh, and I think it belongs on on most top ten lists. It it may be on mine. We'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I firmly agree. Uh, I thought it was fantastic and I, I'm trying not to say too much. Well, I'll, I'll let, I'll let that be for you. Um, but cool. I know you like, I know you like comic book movies, but I'm pumped to see that on your top 10. Yeah. Yeah. I super enjoyed it again. Like if something makes me leave the theater being like, that was amazing. I can't wait for the next one. I mean, Marvel has me hook, line, and sinker. I'm going to go see the next one. I'm pumped. I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Yeah, man. And it's, we're coming up on the year. It's like Captain Marvel in March, uh, Avengers Endgame in uh, April, and then Spidey Far From Home in, I believe, June or July. I'm I'm like, so excited about Spider-Man me. right now. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to that. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So number 10 for Katie was Avengers Infinity War. And for mm-hmm. me, number ten on favorite movies of the year. I I've, I feel like I feel weird about calling things best movie of the year or worst movie of the year because who the fuck am I? But in my top ten of movies that I saw and enjoyed, um, a simple favor, uh, directed by Paul Feig, based on the novel of the same title, uh, with Anna Kendrick, uh, crushing, and uh, just just winning my heart. Uh, did you see this movie? I did. I'm actually, I saw this on your list on Facebook and I was so excited when I saw this on your list because I have feelings, I guess I would say about this movie. Right. So I I went through a whole thing with this because um, as you know, I'm kind of a murder nerd. I'm a true crime fanatic. For sure. And uh, I saw this in the distance and I was like, oh, that sounds like something I totally enjoy. And I was actually going to try to read the book before going to go see the movie because that's what I like to do. And I was looking on Amazon and all of the reviews were talking about how horrible the book was. <laughs> and so I didn't go see the movie because I figured if the book is horrible, how could the movie be good? So I finally watched A Simple Favor over break. And I have to tell you, the performances are fantastic. Yep. Blake Lively is incredible. Anna Kendrick is amazing. The guy from Crazy Rich Asians is great. And had a big uh, year. All that is all that's fantastic. But I thought it was one of the most silly, convoluted things I've ever seen. Yeah. And that's not necessarily bad. I was entertained the entire time. But I I thought it was more 
entertaining than good, if that makes sense. No, it's totally. So here's how I feel. And this is the reason it made my top 10 is because I sat and watched that movie in theater in September uh, on a whim because it seemed cool. And I like Paul Feig. I've talked about it before. I like I like him. I love Freaks and Geeks. I love, you know, Bridesmaids. I love all the stuff that he's made. I love Ghostbusters, for Christ's sake. Um, and I think he does really uh, interesting movies, and I think he's a really funny guy. And to see this look like sort of like dark and something I didn't really know about because I didn't really watch the trailer or keep up with it, I was just like, oh, I like Anna Kendrick. Oh, Blake Lively's big. Uh, Blake Lively's cool. Uh, Paul Feig's nice. I'll go give it a shot. And what what I've figured out over time is is sort of what you said like you're supposed to be more entertained than like critical because uh for a long time for at least like half the movie i'm like really like invested and like buying in and i'm like i'm taking it serious but i just i don't think you're supposed to um and like i remember when we finally got to the the ending which this is a movie that twists and turns and the entire third act or even back half for that matter is just like a bunch of like random twist here then a turn here didn't expect this <laughs> setting a house on fire i have a twin you fucked my husband i fucked my husband we're in it together shoot you he's dead but you're dead i'm arrested but you are like all this crazy shit uh i'm kidnapped but i kidnapped myself and it's just like by the time i got to the very end i remember the light you know the credits started to roll and i was like well that was a movie and i was like holy shit like i i don't know i okay all right but as we've gotten away from September and like creeping our way through the months, I start to realize I'm like, I haven't stopped thinking about this movie. Uh, I like this movie. And like, it's like important for me to own the fact that like, it's okay to have a movie that's in the top 10 that I don't even think is that good. But I, but like Mm -hmm. on a structural level, maybe, but at the same time, like what's good if I'm still thinking about it, I'm still enjoying it. I'm still talking about it. And like, when I think or talk about the movie, a smile comes to my face. I'm like, that's in my top 10. And it snuck in there. It's actually funny because like I was making a, a a top 10 of like, you know, quote unquote bad movies too. And for a while it was like simple favorite, top of the list. And I'm like, dude, that's on your favorite list. You just like that movie. Like, like <laughs> let, let's be honest. And like, I, that, I mean, I've bought the Blu-ray at this point. Uh, I liked, I'm excited to watch it more. Uh, and I, I think that it's a very interesting evaluation of what you're saying of like something being more entertaining than good. And you know what? Sometimes you need those movies. Not every movie can be, um, you know, the Oscar movies. Not every movie can be, uh, you know, first reformed. We'll get there. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, I, I think it has a place and I think that it really did an interesting thing. And I thought it was it was nice to see all these people kind of do something different. Awesome. Yeah, I I had a great time, I must say, and I was very excited to talk to you about it, so I'm glad we got a chance to do that. It's also, like, so pretty. Like, I mean, last thing, like, the costumes in this, it's, like, lifestyle porn, which is really fun, oh, and I like movies that yeah. get to fuck around and just wear all these beautiful costumes. I love it, especially after, like, making a movie and realizing that, like, oh, my God, I, I, can, I have, like, eight shirts, and they're from Old Navy and Walmart, and, like, that's what my characters can wear. <laughs> Seeing them wear this, like, bougie-ass, like, stuff I could never even, like, you know, afford to look at the receipt was also really fun. But that's, that's, that's just a little P.S. Give me number nine, Katie. Number nine? So your number ten was a simple favor, yes. and my number nine is Black Klansman. All right. Yeah. So I really enjoyed this. I um, I like Spike Lee quite a bit, but his movies are often um, hit or miss for me. Um, but I was very pleased. I really, really enjoyed this one. I thought that the comedy worked really well. I love Adam Driver. I think that he's great. 
Uh, I think that all the performances were really fantastic, and the way that the climax was shot got me really invested and excited, and I just really enjoyed it. Good. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it was definitely like, a, it was a, it felt like a return or a resurgence of Spike Lee. Like, Spike Lee is, like, here, and he's, like, saying something, and, like, not that he hasn't been the whole time, but, like, kind of, like, kicking back through into, like, big-time cinema, because that was, like, a big time release and it wasn't like shy rack where I feel like a lot of people didn't see it. And I know he was doing the, uh, the, she's got to have it show on Netflix, I believe. Um, and stuff like that. But yeah, this felt like it felt like again, like it felt very important. It felt like one of the most important films of the year. Um, and I, yeah, I totally agree. It belong. I think it belongs on, on every top 10 list. Um, it, it it just said it had it was it had a, it had a lot of relevancy to where we are in 2018, uh, and mm-hmm. which is a good thing because it makes you think, but it's a bad thing because it makes you think. And you know yeah. it was it was not shy about saying like these this these people and neo Nazis and Ku Klux Klan and like Klansmen and like all these people that are filled with hate for other religions and other races and everybody that you know thinks differently against them. Um, are horrible. And then he's like, oh, by the way, fast forward to 2018 and this is still happening and this is going on in your country and wasn't it fucked up all the all the injustice you just witnessed? Well, guess what, friend? It's still happening and like showing us like footage of like Charlottesville and like all these tragic mm-hmm. things that have been going on recently. It's just, it was very gripping and powerful and I didn't watch another movie the entire year that made me feel that way. Uh, I think it was maybe the only movie of the year that truly made me like emotional to the point of like crying in the theater just because mm-hmm. I feel like that doesn't happen to me a lot. But when you finally get over that movie and like a movie that is doing really uh, in- interesting and important things, uh, talking about history in an aggressive and, uh, you know, accurate, accurate, ugh, sorry, accurate way. Um uh, regarding like Adam Driver and him like conflicted about like all oh, this time I thought I was a white person but I'm hiding you know I'm 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 a Jewish man and that's uh, a minority and you're a black man and that's a minority and no matter what even if I have white skin I'm hated too by these people and so and to, in that we bond and the idea of being different uh, isn't like necessarily always a good thing to everybody and also the movie handles all these things in a kind of a comedic way too. And we get a pseudo love story and like things kind of stay lighthearted. But then when you, when it's, when it comes to, to culminating at the end with uh footage of like the what's footage, been going on yeah. in our last, in the last couple of years, I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, um, the world is bad. And I spend, you know, uh, 98% of my life trying to like forget that the world's bad. And then when you get it shoved in your face on a big screen, you're like, shit. And if the world's bad for me, uh, quote unquote, this, you know, white dude sitting in the theater, like unbothered, not a care in the world. I can't imagine how it is for people that have actual problems. So definitely a movie that made you think. And I loved it. I loved it too. And we also got Foreman as the head of the KKK. Yeah. And he was good. He He, he put in a performance. He put in a real performance and, uh, John David Washington, the lead uh, put in a performance, um, he sure did. Adam Driver's being Adam Driver. He's Adam Drivering, and that's always a good thing. Um, yeah, I, I was really into this. Like, oh my god, those like long monologue scenes too, where Spike just puts the mm-hmm. camera and like just lets people talk and like talk and talk and talk, uh, just for like ever. Oh my god, it's just like I said, it just feels like he's back, and I want to see more, and I want him to like, I want him to be angry and like <laughs> take on the take on, um, 
movies from that Spike Lee angle that only a Spike Lee joint can. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a very strong front runner for um, Oscar adapted screenplay this year. Absolutely. I thought it was very smart and I hope to see it in the shortlist. Yes. Very good call. All right. Number nine. Clocking in number nine for me. Annihilation. Um, Mm. This is a movie I saw quite recently and I also didn't think I didn't think it would take my uh, take me by storm the way it did because I sat there and watched it uh, specifically with like friends that really really enjoyed this movie and swear by it and have been saying like nothing but annihilation since like last like February or whatever the fuck it was. Um, I'm not really a sci-fi cat uh, especially like hardcore like SF or whatever like the real stuff. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of stupid. <laughs> I feel like when it comes to genre that isn't like kind of spoon fed to me, a lot like Star Wars and Marvel comics and, uh, that sort of thing. I like being handed in like, this is what this is, Luke. Do you understand it? And I'm like, well, not really. And they're like, all right, we'll explain it to you. Um, Annihilation is not concerned about explaining things to you. It's essentially, um, oh, how do I, how even to describe it? Did you see it? I didn't actually, but everybody I heard from said it was amazing. <laughs> it is, right? So it's uh it's the Alex Garland, I believe, is follow up to he did Ex Machina, um and everybody obviously really dug that. Uh and then yeah, he made Annihilation, which is adapting a novel, but it deviates quite a bit. Basically Natalie Portman is a scientist military lady. And Oscar Isaac is like her husband, who's like a science military man kind of guy. And he's been gone and assumed dead. And he shows back up and he's not the same. And and it's like, where have you been? And so she and like a, a whole crew of like badass ladies go to like this weird trippy ass abandoned like camp that's like all like weird and fungusy and planty. And basically, I, oh my God, I don't even know if I can describe this movie. Um, I don't, I, there's fungus and there's like ideas about humanity, uh, and how we're going to evolve or how we've devolved into nothing or how we're evolving into something more. I think all of it is maybe like a metaphor for like alcoholism. (laughs) I've read that. Maybe it's all a metaphor for like other vices because talking about the way it changes you and how you see copied versions of yourself and weird shit. I, I realize now that like, Oh boy, I wish I didn't have to talk about this on air because, like, I, 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 I really am having a bitch of a time describing it. Because, um, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I know that movie. Yeah, that movie was sweet. And now I'm like, Natalie Portman is having sex with a guy when she thinks her husband's dead, uh, which is cool. And then also, <laughs> and uh, what you? Oh yeah, there's a bear scene. Sorry, I, I had God in my headphones. It was Tom. There's a, there's a, there's like a, a scene where I heard about the bear. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Like where, like, so these, basically this, this ragtag group of ladies all turn on each other, deception after deception, and Natalie Portman's like tied up and like held at like gunpoint by like, oh god, it's so fucked up. But there's these weird creatures, and it's like, it's like kind of like another alternate world, like within earth where there's other like plants and there's other like creatures and there's like a bear that can like sound like the voice of like a person you know i guess and that's like how they lure people in so it's like 
and she's like whoa he's alive and like so like she like runs out and gets like mauled to fucking death by like this weird steroid bear from outer space who's like yeah it's like it reminds me of like quint getting eaten on jaws he's just like he's like coughing blood and shit and she just gets like dragged away like straight to hell there's like a video left behind that they find from like Oscar Isaac and like the group that was there before. It was like, watch this. And it's like, <laughs> it's so fucked up. It's like basically they like cut open this dude's stomach and they can see all this like moving, like weird, like tentacly shit inside of him. And then it like seals back up or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's like gnarly as fuck. Like, and again, like it, it sounds, the way I'm describing it actually is the, the way the movie is because there's all this shit happening <laughs> and it's like, why? Uh, like we get, we get to like the third act and Natalie Portman has like got like this, finds like this weird video that like Oscar Isaac has left behind. Again, another video and Oscar Isaac barely has any lines in this. It's a lot of him just being like the most gorgeous guy alive. Um, mm. His hair all slicked back, jaw very strong and uh, he's got like a weird like southern accent when he does talk and this final video is like him like leaning against the wall and he's like my insides move like water. I cannot bear it and just like <laughs> fucking weird shit like that. He's like my mind is gone. Uh, uh, just weird shit and he's just like you ever seen a a flash grenade before kind of bright might want to shield your eyes and then just fucking like on the video you see him just like vaporize himself and just like commit <laughs> commit suicide <laughs> yeah i don't know the point is annihilation if this sounds good do you see it if it doesn't sound good do you probably still check it out because i'm not doing a good job good job describing it uh katie number eight for you <laughs> So, uh, okay, your number nine was Annihilation. My number eight is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, I don't even know what this is. Oh, really? Yeah. So, all right, this is the movie that has Melissa McCarthy in it where she is a writer down on her luck, a writer of biographies, who pretends to write letters by famous people, written by famous people. So she sells these letters pretending that they were actually written by famous authors, like Dorothy Parker and uh, other people from that era. And... This, Melissa McCarthy had a very weird year. Uh, she had two other movies that I can think of off the top of my head. I don't know if she could have any more, but there was uh, The Happy Time Murders, yeah. <laughs> which I know a lot of people consider to be one of the worst movies, if not the worst movie of the year. And the other one she had out was Life of the Party, which I've also seen on some worst lists, but I, I watched it. It's not that. It's not harming anybody. It's fine. It's fine it's um but this she showed that she can really deliver a solid dramatic performance she plays this really crotchety really like uh bitter lesbian writer which is not at all what you would think of from the advertising of the film like i i actually saw it on a date with my girlfriend and i was like oh surprise also with lesbians (sighs) and out of so there's a lot of movies that dealt with queer themes this year, yeah. and out of all of them, of the bummer ones, this is the one that I liked the most, although I did not see uh, Boy Erased. But this dealt with this kind of fear of being gay and alone, like you've alienated everybody from your community so much that all you can do is just like rot inside 
and you need to connect. She ends up connecting with this very charming gay British man, and they end up ripping off uh, people together and as kind of like a duo. And it's, they both have completely alienated people throughout their lives. He is dying. I think he dies from AIDS, and uh, she just can't hold a relationship. She just is, is unwilling to be vulnerable with anybody. And the two of them are able to connect in kind of a really – at first unhealthy, but later kind of a sweet way when they reconcile. And I just think that the whole film is done fantastically and is really a lovely meditation on loneliness. And um, specifically what that means as a queer person. And I really related to it and it made me very fearful. And I think that that's that's good. I got to feel some kind of catharsis with it. So I'd highly recommend it. That sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to see that. And I love Melissa McCarthy when she gets to like really use her chops because she's so talented. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I can't fault her for taking the paychecks on some like, you know, rated R comedies and stuff because she's super, super, super funny. But that girl is that that woman has uh, has range and she can do pretty much everything. So, my God. Yeah, you're really pitching this. That sounds that sounds fantastic. I, I can't wait to see it. And that goes in the long list of 2018 flicks that flew under my radar unfortunately but yeah i'm, ex- I'm you excited to see also it. enjoy it because the whole impetus for her beginning this life of crime is that her cat gets sick no so the whole thing oh. is that she wants to save her sick cat oh I, I get that i'd do way worse than than write fake celebrity letters i'd kill a man <laughs> for my for my bug and willoughby um mm. <laughs> cool all right well number eight for me is american animals um so this was the sort of like it was the true based on the true story of these douchey rich white kids um who pull off like well yeah pull off for a minute an art heist from a from a university uh in order to make some some cashola and um it also mixes elements of uh like documentary within the film so as the movie's going on, the the stuff's happening on screen, and then it's being explained by the actual people that were actually put in uh, behind bars. Um, that the that like Evan Peters and uh, I can't think of the dude's name from Killing of a Sacred Deer and Dunkirk, who's like the literally the lead, um, uh, and like Blake Jenner and like all these people that are uh, actually portraying them on film. So it's this really trippy thing of like kind of knowing where a movie's heading and kind of knowing the ending because you're hearing like you're hearing uh stuff from the characters after the fact which is it was really weird and really interesting in a format that I haven't seen done in a while or at least done to this effect and I off the top of the off the top I have to say this is a movie about white privilege um mm. this is a movie about like you know bored white kids who have who who have an all and don't know it because they're young and uh you know they're base it's basically like doing something crazy out of boredom like planning a heist because you want to because we watched like we watched fucking tarantino movies and want to rob somebody or like it, it's it's kind of like so like on the surface it's like why should this be in your top 10 because if these kids were a shade darker than their white skin they'd still be behind bars they got a slap on the wrist and had to serve some time uh and they did some fucked up shit but it's like in 2018 when we're living with like in in a world of like well 
in any year of police brutality against uh, minorities and stuff, you have to stop and think every five seconds while you're watching this movie that these little entitled bitches, like <laughs> if, if like if they did, if anybody else did this, they would be in way worse or maybe, maybe not even put behind bars, maybe shot. Like you don't know. So, but then that's the point, right? It's the point of mm-hmm. like, it's the same thing that I think Brad status kind of had uh, going for it and against it uh, the year before where that's a movie about like a 40 year old like white like well off dude who's like I'm kind of bored and life's not good but I guess I'm alive and that's nice and uh, I understood that was the point of that movie just like I understand that's kind of the point of this movie where living with your white privilege is, is like something that you can be like, Hey, I'm white and I know it. And I know that I was from birth given something that a lot of people don't get to have and acknowledging that and then working to make sure that other people, um, are, you know, working toward other people being able to live uh, a better life as well and a more tolerant world. But then there's other white privileged people who don't realize they have white privilege and they just want to make a show and rob nice people of, of their art and make a woman piss herself, which happens in the movie. Um, oh, no. Yeah, crazy stuff. But the thing, I, the, the reason it makes my top 10 is because the the, the way it was done uh, with the inner, the inner uh, cut with actual documentary and actual um true story aspect of it the way that the story keeps changing he's like the way they'll recount a story he's like yeah we were riding in his car smoking a joint when he said this and then he's like oh no wait we were at a party and the scene won't like the the voiceover won't change but the they'll place the people in the exact same spot but the area around them will change and suddenly they're sitting at a party having this conversation and stuff like that it really brings like an interesting idea to like how our minds change stories in our head and we're not sure what we remember and we can convince ourselves that things happened and we can convince ourselves we remembered something a certain way but in the end did that even happen or did i make it up like how powerful and weird are our brains and the idea that um you know enough people can have have the same story and it can be completely different so i thought that was really compelling filmmaking and really compelling storytelling and i i highly recommend it to be honest simply for the idea of uh, the story alone that's fantastic. I missed this one. Uh, I think it might have came and gone in theaters before I had a chance to go see it. But from what you're describing, it reminds me a lot of uh, Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring. Did you see oh, that? Yeah, it does, I didn't. I feel like I saw The Bling Ring a long time ago. Um, yes, conceptually, it is a lot like The Bling Ring. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good call. I do think that this, um, I think that per, from a performance standpoint, uh, and from a from a story standpoint, and just like structurally, I think this movie like triumphs over the bling ring. Um, uh, not that it isn't good, not that Emma Watson isn't good, and yada yada. But I really think this movie uh, is doing something um, a little bit a little bit uh, bigger, in my opinion. Well, radical. Glad to have your thoughts on it, man. Yeah, you you up, Katie? What's number seven? <laughs> number seven. Oh, Lucy. Have you heard of this? Lucy? Oh, Lucy. Oh, Lucy. I have not heard of this. Okay. So I was tracking this movie in the trades for quite a bit because it really struck me when it was making the festival rounds. It's um, it's a co-production between Japan and America, and it's about this kind of spinster office worker who is very lonely in Japan. She is... Um, uh, every day she hears news stories about people committing suicide and everybody all around her is really lonely and isolated. She hates her job. 
and she's at a very low point in her life. And she has this niece who's very pretty, who works at this maid cafe and uh, passes along these lessons to her. She has her pay for these English lessons. So our lead goes to go goes to these English lessons and they're taught by this very charismatic American younger man. And he gives her the new name Lucy and has her don this blonde curly wig to become this new persona. And within this new persona, she's able to gain confidence. And within the class, he also hugs his students. So she gets to have this kind of physical affection that she's not able to get elsewhere. And that's kind of foreign to what she experiences in society. And she's really beginning to brighten up. She loves the class. And then the teacher disappears with her niece. And she decides with her sister, who she's kind of estranged from, to go track down her niece and this teacher in America. And um, it along the way, she deals with the fact that, like, her sister stole her um, her boyfriend and which became her husband and her niece's father. And so there's still some resentment and bitterness between them. And the niece actually is pregnant with the teacher's child. And, um, but this main character, Lucy, is so desperate for that physical affection and for what she thought was a real connection with this teacher that she ends up sleeping with him because she thinks that they have something real. And of course, in the end, he is a loser. He has, he's married and he has a kid and wife that he walked out on and um, he's at a really low place in his life and he's not able to care for the niece and her baby. And he, it's, it's just, it's, it's another just like the last one, I like this one because it was all about loneliness, but what really sold me about it is the sweetness at the end. There's this other student in the class, this Japanese man, and uh, Lucy, when she goes back, she gets fired, and she tries to commit suicide, and he finds her, and he saves her. And she thinks that, again, she tries to have sex with him because she thinks that that's the kind of attention that he's giving her, but really it's more of a platonic situation and at the very end he confesses that he had a son who committed suicide and through this other persona he has in this class he's able to lighten up and they have this nice moment of connection where all they do is hug at a train station and there's no it's not romantic it's just this really nice moment of connection between these two lonely people before they get on the train and it really stuck with me and I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And especially the idea you're mentioning at the tail end there where the idea of it doesn't have to be a romance story. And if people connect in a film, they don't have to be in love. Just the idea of human connection is uh, simple, but resounding enough with literally everybody with a pulse that that should almost be done more. And it sounds like it really was done beautifully. Another one that I've got to see that I didn't even know about. But you're so you're so cool, Katie. You're, 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 you're so You're so niche. Thanks, dude. Oh, no problem. That sounds awesome. And do you know the the director? Who is it? Or does it? Oh gosh, I should have written it down, but um, I'm sorry, I didn't write. No, it down. I was just curious. Japanese it... director. Oh, okay, that yeah, I, that well, I was just curious. That sounds really good. Um, all right, number seven for me, uh, is Black Klansman. Um, what can we say that we haven't already said? I I just I truly feel like it was one of the most important movies of the year, and um, you're. Being a, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't take the time to watch it. It is long. It is not easy at times, um, but it is really good stuff, and um, I can't recommend it enough. I think it should be seen by by one and all. Um, but yeah, what can we say that we haven't already said? 
So uh, what's number six for you, Katie? Number six for me, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know it might be later on in your list possibly, but I have uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Woo! And Yeah. So this movie, when it first came out, all my entire Twitter feed was just people saying, you got to go see it because I follow a lot of animators and they were talking about how this is the movie this year that really changed up the form and is really exciting and it's really great and it's maybe the best Spider-Man movie ever. And as somebody who deeply, deeply loves Spider-Man 1 and 2, the Tobey Maguire movies, that's a really difficult thing for me to try to think about sure but i went and saw it and it is incredible i love miles i love his dad i love peter parker all the variations i love uh gwen stacy as spider woman i thought it was really fresh and fun the soundtrack was great the the action i'm not a big action person but i was really invested in the action yeah and um it's just a great time and i'd highly recommend it yeah, and you live in a world where we also had Incredibles 2 happen last summer, and I was like, oh my god, how can animation get prettier than that? And then Spider-Man comes out with a with a, with a game changer and is like, hey, here's the most accu- accurate representation of comics brought into life. Like, the way the movie is like, it's it's got dots, for God's sake. It's got the comic dots. It, it moves, like, imperfectly at times. It's kind of 3D looking at times. The stuff that's happening is, like, transcendental. I feel like we have never seen... I see that this is one of the first times where I felt like I was more in your wheelhouse where you're, you love animation, right? And that's your Mm -hmm. shit. And me personally, I don't usually, um, I don't super, uh, warm up to animation a lot. It kind of is, I don't, I, I, not even in like a, like a, I have like an embargo on it or anything. I just don't watch a lot of animated content, uh, these days, whether adult or child, but this was, uh, an an exception because a it's Marvel, but B it's Spider-Man, uh, my favorite, character maybe of all time in any medium across any genre but it's miles morales spider-man which is i i just my dude i love miles and since his his creation i believe 2010 or 2011 um that's been i don't think i've bought a peter parker comic since uh when he was introduced as ultimate spider-man i was like this is new and fresh and exciting he's got a cooler costume than peter for christ's sake uh he's is this is this 13 year old like half black half hispanic kid living in new york uh like Spider-Man's dead and now he's taking the mantle. It was just badass. And like, I'd never uh, got tired of reading it. And then eventually like, you know, Brian Michael Bendis did tons of stuff with this and crossed him over and did like a couple arcs of Spider-Man where it's him and Peter together. Um, I love all of it. So the fact that they were taking Miles Morales that to, to some maybe known as the quote unquote black Spider-Man, I'm like, no, this is just Spider-Man now. Like we've had decades of Peter Parker and he's the best and we love him. We're going to get tons of movies with him and stuff. But Miles Morales is, is, is the future of, of the spider world. And he's, you know, he'll never, he'll never take the, the, the spot I think that Peter Parker has, but he can certainly share it. Uh, and he's great. And Spider Gwen is great. Haley Steinfeld coming in, coming in with a big gear with this and Bumblebee. Um, everything about Spider Ham, John Mulaney, Spider Noir, Nicolas Cage, um, Spider Man, Peter A. Parker, Chris Pine, the blonde Spider Man, Peter B. Parker, Jake Johnson, the the other Spider Man. Just like you're doing multiverse, you're doing comics. Like fuck, like you know what I mean? Just so comic book and so fun. And I think that it doesn't get really any better than spider-man into the spider-verse um from any standpoint you slice it as a comic book movie perfect as a kid's movie kind of hardcore at times but perfect as an adult movie perfect as a spider-man movie it doesn't get any better like 
it's just I could watch it every minute of the day. It's it's a it's a feast and it's long and it's long and you don't even know it. And you're getting introduced to all these characters and it's a balancing act and yet it still manages to be Miles Morales's story um hinging on Miles Morales's story while also dealing with all these other spider characters that in their own right could have their own movie. So even Spider-Ham, I'd watch it. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have enough good things to say about it, especially in a year where, where Phil Lord and Chris Miller had the solo. Did I do that backwards? Chris Lord film. Did, I may have done it backwards, but a year after the, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, after, you know, there was a lot of bad press with solo coming out and them getting fired off of it and all that stuff. What a, what a, you know, spit in the face of anybody who possibly was foolish enough to doubt them because, um, they were producing this obviously and uh, helping write it and stuff. And it's just goddamn what a hit. Like I was going to watch it no matter what. And I was going to dig it, but I didn't expect to be, you know, just taken by the, by the balls and the heart the way I was, uh, with this one. So excellent, excellent choice, Katie. Awesome. All right. So what's your number six? Number six for me is maybe one of my douchier picks, um, because it's on a lot of people's lists. Uh, it's first reformed. Douchey. No, you like but what you like. Yeah, I know, I know, but this is one that's like first reformed was made to win an Oscar and be on top tens list. I mean, it's just it's uh, it's und- it's undeniable. But um, there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason it's there, and this is from the America's Sweetheart, Paul Schrader, uh, writer writer director of uh, or well writer director of this one, writer of of oft oft Martin Scorsese collaborator, uh, as well as like writing like Taxi Driver and a bunch of other really effed up shit in the past um but he writes and directs a movie where ethan hawk gives the performance of a lifetime uh a career that is filled with performances of a lifetime um where he is essentially a christian preacher um and we get to sit back and basically watch his mind unravel um every day he, he sits down and starts he's like every day of this year i'm gonna write a journal and at the end of the year i'm gonna burn it but i'm gonna i'm gonna highlight every single thing that happens in my day and it kicks off with that and it's like oh here's this guy working at this like tourist um church in a city where there's a big mega church that has the real money he's a preacher now he used to have a family his wife left him his son died uh he's an alcoholic he's pissing blood because uh, he's got like uh, some sort of like liver or kidney infection and he won't get go to the doctor about. He's meeting with uh, parishioners, uh, few and far between, one of which is obsessed with the idea of bringing a child into the world is a bad idea because the world is horrible. It very much feels like a crotchety old man writing about 2018 as a, somebody who lived through like the 50s and 60s, you know? And it's like, and it is, and it, and it shows. Um, just the idea of like, we're fucking up the world and we're, uh, like all going to die. And how could you possibly bring a war, a kid into a world as fucked up as this? And we have bad leadership and we're polluting and the ice caps are melting and everything's fucked. And, uh, Ethan Hawke is like having this, like all like happen in his head all while he's like physically and mentally decaying. And so, like I said, you just get to watch this really interesting, um, portrait of a man who's truly losing it, just losing it. Um, and at times it's a bit much, at times it's a little heavy handed at times. It's a little like grosser than I want it to be. Um, there's, you know, characters that commit suicide in gory ways. There's Ethan Hawke literally puts on like a, like a, like a vest and he's going to blow up a church and then he straps barbed wire around himself and like weird shit. Like 
giving it out of context so you don't know because I want you to see it, but it's like just striking in every uh, in every aspect uh, and very visually simple and I really love that like all these long flat shots of just like things and letting like your characters walk through them or just like flat shot this is a church flat shot this is an altar flat shot this is Ethan Hawke's face isn't he handsome still for his age and I'm like he's handsome for any age Luke relax um, <laughs> it's just really good and like there's a reason it makes everybody's list and I, I can't recommend it enough it's fantastic oh, it sounds really intense all right, and now we're gonna. I, I've heard from everybody that's fantastic, but but now I have a now I have a reason. You really sold it. Yeah, it's uh it's a delight, and we are running kind of out of time, so we'll move we'll move a little quicker. Um, okay, and this will just be a good movie episode. You're welcome, 2019. Um, give me your number five, Katie. Number five, sorry to bother you. Uh, directed by Boots Riley. Talk about voice. This movie is absolutely batshit. <laughs> I uh, I couldn't stop thinking about the the very hard left turn that it takes at the climax. Uh, bad guy Army Hammer. How the movie made choices that I didn't expect, but was along for the ride. And I I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, the use of the white voice. How um, it kind of was a very vicious takedown of capitalism and like this kind of false consciousness. And it was just fun and full of energy and something I'd never seen before. There's very few things that you can walk out of and say to yourself, like, that was really unique. And this is something that I can really say that about, and I can't stop thinking about it. The only reason why it's not any higher on my list is because I thought Cash's relationship with his girlfriend was really weird and kind of brought down the movie a couple pegs. But other than that, it's amazing. It's just incredible, and I'd highly recommend it. That's great, and I and I missed it, and I knew I was missing something important while I missed it. But I was like, ah, I'll get I'll get to what I'll get to what I get to, um, and I and I regret missing it because I'm you know everything I've heard from everybody is this movie's nuts, this movie's uh, got a voice, this movie's got a flavor, uh, and I'm really excited to to give it a shot. I guess sometimes I um I can't help it. Sometimes like I've I'm afraid of like intensity at times. Like I don't want to feel a certain way, and that looked like a movie that was going to make me feel a way that I w- that could have that could give me an anxiety attack. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I usually try to avoid those things. But in the comfort of my own home uh, with my sweet cats, maybe I could give that a shot. Uh, so yeah, I would I would love to watch it. And, and well well said. Yeah, man, I think you'd like it. What's your number five? Teen Titans go to the movies. Uh, and everything I've said about like, you know, animation, not tickling me is going to be proved bullshit. Um, because there it is, uh, in my top five, this movie, having never watched teen Titans go the TV show, I've never seen it until I saw this movie and still I don't watch it. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, but I love DC comics. I love all these characters, and um, I was really interested by the idea of them getting a feature. I work at a movie theater, so don't cost nothing. And uh, I was excited to to give it a shot, just see what I was dealing with. And never, never did I ever expect to walk in a movie that was like felt like specifically tailored for my my sense of humor and sensibility about comics and the 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 state of comic book movies and stuff. It was really like it made me feel so warm to know that there are people even within WB who've made movies that I love that other people don't that know enough about like the way people think about movies like Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad and all the other shit that they can make fun of it. This movie roasts everything. Nobody's safe. Like it roasts 
every comic book movie that's out and then some it's such a slapstick and like meta take on like how movies are made in general the filmmaking process it, it shits on hollywood and makes fun of it it makes fun of wb it makes fun of comic book movies in general it makes fun of comics it does everything that uh it's supposed to while doing nothing i expected and uh i was thrilled to to see such a such a interesting and fresh take especially from characters and i feel like a tv show that has been shit on by people like on the internet for years and i i guess i still can't figure out why i don't know if it's nostalgia for the old teen titan show which i didn't really watch that either it's that i whatever it's that. well fuck them because like if you can't sit back and have a good time like this is top notch comedy writing like i i can't believe the jokes i can't imagine the jokes per page i can't imagine how long it takes to write a 80 to 90 minute movie that is this jam-packed with perfect um i love it and i and i i can't recommend it enough and i have nothing but positive things to say about every single person involved with teen titans go to the movies and i wish it would get a sequel but i don't think it made that much money unfortunately no it um it people i don't think wanted to give it a chance because it is on the sillier side but that's kind of a genius it plays all its cards very well, and uh, I'm actually from the world of animation nerds, right. and a lot of them don't like it because it's so different from the original Teen Titans from, you know, 2003 or so. And that's a shame because it was so smart, so clever, and completely underrated, and I highly recommend it to anybody who's minutely interested. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. It's, it's, it's seriously phenomenal. And, like, if you're sick of, if you're sick sick of superhero movies if you're fatigued uh teen titans go to the movies is the antidote because this thing is just roasting everybody it's really great what's your uh what's your number four katie my number four is bo burnham's eighth grade all right now we're talking give me it it it's just such a beautifully vulnerable realistic movie about this girl who's at an awkward period of her life just trying to figure herself out and I think that that's something that's really special. The the things about it that stuck with me the most is she's there's a scene where she's trying to be cool and trying to impress some older kids, and she gets into this very uncomfortable game of truth or dare with this older boy who is definitely trying to get her to do sexual things before she's ready. And she's trying to pull up, be polite, and she still wants to be liked, but she doesn't give into it. And the struggle that you see her going through is so realistic and so heartbreaking that it just it resonated with me in such a powerful way. And I think that it, it just really brought this character to life. The other thing that I can't stop thinking about this movie is that she has this relationship with her dad, and the dad just wants to love her. And she's at a place in her life where she's not daddy's girl anymore. She's trying to be her own independent person, but she still needs her dad. And when they do have those moments where they're finally able to connect, you you feel this just immense sense of relief for the both of them because it's clear that they, they need each other a lot. And I thought that was so sweet. And he there's a scene where she's upset and he just says all of the right dad things. And I was sobbing in the theater. It's so well written. It has such a big heart and I'd highly recommend it. Absolutely. I've been a fan for, of Bo Burnham since the beginning. Uh, I thought I thought he was hilarious on YouTube. I thought he was transcendent uh, in stand-up comedy, especially with his show What. And then to watch him uh, transition to TV with Zach Stone is going to be famous, which I think is an underappreciated show for the ages. Uh, to finally watch him move into uh, becoming a writer-director of his own film and uh, seeing like what he did in that realm is is nothing short of perfection. 
Uh, he's a great writer and there's no doubt about it, but the mastery in this movie, I believe, is in the performance uh, of Elsie Fisher and in mm-hmm. the direction of, of Bo uh, in general to, all, to these kids and adults alike. Um, Elsie Fisher deserves every award you can give for acting uh, this year. And it's, it's going to bum me out if she doesn't get at least something to take home because she is unbelievably good in this movie. She's unbelievably natural. Uh, the movie does a thing where it shows me something I don't recognize because I don't know what it's like to be a middle schooler in 2018, clearly. Um, but at the same time, the interesting thing about that is it also presents something that's universally um uh, able to be understood by every one of us. We all know what it's like to feel awkward and sure we weren't, you know, Snapchatting and stuff, but we've still like felt like shit when we, when other kids had the razor and we had our Kia Sara phone, uh, shit like that. You know what I mean? So like I get it. And like, I, I couldn't have asked for something, um, I couldn't have asked for anything more and I didn't know this is the movie I wanted from Bo Burnham. Uh, it's not what you'd expect uh, if you look at his like other stuff, but at the same time, it's just everything. Um, I didn't know I wanted it more. It's so good and it has so much to say and, and like you said, it has so much heart. So for me, number four mm-hmm. is First Man uh, from Damien Chazelle, uh, writer-director of uh, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, uh, Whiplash, a movie you may have seen called La La Land, and then uh, he came in hot with First Man, the biopic of Neil Armstrong going to the moon. Uh, doesn't necessarily have the flair, the shine of those other movies, I must admit. Um, but this is a movie that was uh, sorely underseen. Uh, and I think that's um, a disservice to all the people that worked on it because I've just, I think you give anybody in the industry a Neil Armstrong biopic and they'll they'll make it any way but this way. Where... At the end of the day, this is a movie that uh, is about Neil Armstrong, the person and the man and the things he's going through. Um, and and yeah, he went to the moon and yeah, he was a great he was a great astronaut. And yeah, all that stuff is really intense. But this is more so like watching a man like uh, with just an un- unbreakable will and the spirit. And while all these horrible things are happening to him. He's still able to be a hero. It's kind of like a superhero story uh, of of like a real life variety, where all the like you watch you watch you watch Arrow, you watch Iron Man in a movie, and like all this shit's falling around uh, around him, and he's got to be the person that steps up and does the thing for the for you know humanity. Anyways, that's what Neil Armstrong does in First Man, and you care about his family life, and you care about his children, you care about his wife, you care about all the all like, the decades of work he's doing, and the friends that are dying along the way, all for this you know goal that um is in 1969 the biggest thing that's ever happened uh putting a man on the moon and he fucking does it and the reason it's even better is because you you bring justin hurwitz along who scored all of uh uh damien chazelle's movies so far um and who in god's name makes this movie and gives it this beautiful jazzy like whimsical soundtrack who who shoots this movie grainy and like lovely and like old-timey the way they do it i'm on the moon uh and like who shoots outer space the way they do it like everything they do in this movie from a technical standpoint from a directorial standpoint from a performance standpoint it's just hits all the right numbers with me and yeah it's long as hell so get comfortable but um jesus christ it's worth it and give yourself a slice of time to sit down and really enjoy um because it, it, it deserves your attention and your time. It definitely feel like it didn't get properly marketed. I, no. I feel like it, it was in the theater for like a hot second before it quickly ran out, and I didn't hear much, if anything, about it. Yeah. But 
I, I figured it must have been fantastic. It's damn good. It's damn good. It's not, if anybody was like thinking that it's a regression from La La Land or anything else, they're crazy. It's something different for sure, but it, it's it's so, so good. And, and Gosling gives an unbelievable performance uh, as the leading man, like as always. He's just so damn good. Mm-hmm. All right. What's your number three, Katie? Won't You Be My Neighbor? The uh, Mr. Rogers documentary. Very, very good. It didn't make my, but very good. Oh, it's fantastic. There's this, um, it, it's all about, there's a lot of rumors that have been around over the years about Mr. Rogers trying to see that if there was something shady going on with him. This movie proves that there never was. He was just a very empathetic person who was able to get, connect with children in a very honest and very simple way. And what really struck me about it is it, he, he had like a brief moment where he was struggling with homophobia with one of the actors. Yeah. But he eventually moved past it and learned. And I think that that's fantastic. And there's, there's also a point near the end of the film where he talks about writing for kids. And he talks about how when you are entertaining children, you can't look down to them. And how important it is to meet children on their level and treat them as human beings. And that resonated with me as somebody who wants to write for kids so much and I, I felt moved by the whole documentary, and it, I didn't leave dry-eyed. It's, it's just amazing. It is so good. Yeah, you're right. And it's a movie like Oxygen. You can just you can just have it on. You can just breathe it. Like that's like such a watchable doc. Uh, especially, I think that documentaries get a bad rap, uh, and people some people can write them off as boring. There's nothing boring about this one. It is very very good. Mm-hmm. All and right. your number three? Number three is a movie we've talked about: Avengers: Infinity War, a sumptuous buffet, mm-hmm. a comic book extravaganza uh a a movie that we've never uh, unlike anything we've ever seen before nothing more to say about it than we already have it's just fucking awesome and i'm just so excited that it exists and i can't believe it exists and i will be in all of it for decades from now like I, i just i won't ever not be shocked at all the cool shit they pulled off in this movie um what about what's your number two katie my number two is another doc three identical strangers oh yeah i forgot about this one i didn't see it it is so good. So I'm not spoiling this because it's in the trailer, but essentially it's about this this guy who discovers that he has a twin who, when he goes to college, and he meets up with him, and they 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 were all both of them are adopted, and they are finally able to meet up. And there's a story about them in the paper, and then they get another call, and they find out that they have uh, another brother, a triplet, that they're triplets. And they all meet up, and it's about them um, figuring out why they were separated from each other when they were adopted and how their different lives turned out in their different financial situations and home lives. And it's very fascinating and very moving, and it's, it's definitely a movie about uh, brotherhood, um, sons and fathers, and male bonding, and as well as kind of like these creepy experiments that went down, um, I think, in like the 70s, with these, or, no, it must have been earlier than that, but but like way back in the day about twins and triplets, and I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested. It it, it gave me a lot of emotions. It looked great. Yeah, so, I would love to check yeah, it out. It's fantastic. Number two for me, Eighth Grade, <laughs> a movie we've we've spoke mm-hmm. beautiful volumes about, and I'll say it one more time: definitely see Eighth Grade if you get a chance. It is just so so good and there's nothing like it right now in terms of the coming of age thing it really takes that genre and kind of flips it a little and it's nice to see um it's nice to see a movie about a 13 year old girl for once too you know what i mean and not just like Mm -hmm. the dude trying to like get laid or whatever 
see my movie break. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, uh, give me your number one, Katie. My number one? Yeah. Okay, my number one movie for 2018 <laughs> is Shirkers. Well, I don't even know what this is. You don't? Okay. What? So it's a uh, a Netflix documentary. It's about this teenager, Sandy Sandy Tan, in Singapore. She's trying to shoot Singapore's first road movie in 1992 with a group of her friends as well as a teacher of hers from America. And right when it seems like they're about to finish shooting the film, this teacher, this American teacher, runs off with all of the footage. And it affects her and her friendships in these really big, impactful ways. And um, eventually she gets the tapes back and she tries to unravel the mystery of this teacher and um, come to terms with what this film did for her friendships and how it's kind of changed her as a person and as a filmmaker. And as somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about films and the relationships that, that you get with people through film, it struck me personally, and um, it I just I related to it the most this year, and that's as simple as it is. I just loved it because I love film, and I love the relationships that I've gotten through film. Oh, that sounds amazing! And three docs, look at you, and 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 now now I'm going to be <laughs> a documentarian myself. No, I'm really excited to to watch that. That sounds awesome, especially something that we can relate to as you know former film students, ex film students. <laughs> Uh, people that are uh, interested in the art. Mm -hmm. And there's just all these beautiful shots of Singapore in the early 90s that are just gorgeous. There's no sound left on the film, but you just see this time capsule of this this place that we're not super familiar with in this country. And it's just, especially since now there's renewed interest in Singapore because of crazy rich Asians. I think that this is kind of the flip side of it. So I think that that'd be cool for somebody to see, especially if you really liked Crazy Rich Asians this year. Yeah, hell yeah. That sounds great. And you, your number one? Spider-Man Into the Uh, Spider-Verse. Hell yeah. Webbed up my heart. And, uh, you know, like I said, I I don't have anything but, like, if if I were to, like, express the way, like, my stomach feels when I think about this movie, it's kind of like this. (laughs) <laughs> like it, it puts me in knots i love it I, I i think about it all the time like i think about how disgusting and grotesque kingpin looks i think about how uh, i think about like how how like hardcore it is that you watch like you know peter parker get killed with like you know at the fist of this disgusting kingpin uh i feel like how killer it is that like Aunt May is is like Alfred and they have this spider lair and all these people are coming together and they're all like, you know, different from different universes, but they're able to unite because they're similar and that they're spider people and like that, you know, we're all just looking for our spider people from other universes to, 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 to relate to, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have nothing but good things to say about it. And you know what? How refreshing was it to kick off 2019 and a show where we typically talk about movies that are lesser loved and just spend the time not defending or anything just talking about how much we enjoyed good flicks of the year uh that's a refreshing and we're not going to keep up we're not going to keep doing that it's just because because this, this is bad movie brunch yeah fucks but mm-hmm. but uh it did feel good and i you know like my new year's resolution to be more consistent on this show hopefully uh for to, to build an audience and my real resolution is to still be doing bad movie brunch with you in 2020 katie dude yeah same here man all right well you got anything else you want to talk about 
I just, it was a, now looking back on it, when you're in the thick of it, sometimes it seems like maybe it's not a good year for movies, but when you really look back on it, I thought this was a wonderful year. There's so many exciting things, so many things that we didn't even put on our list that I thoroughly enjoyed. Oh, yeah. And I look forward to what 2019 brings. Yeah, like Robin Hood, you know? <laughs> kind <laughs> of kind of fun. Um, yeah, no, I hear you. And and before I go, I do actually want to throw out The Grinch almost made my top 10, and I think that was uh, has potential for a bad movie brunch because I think it was lesser loved than expected from some people, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really good, and it was from our boy Scotty Mosier. Um, I thought mm-hmm. that I thought that really rocked. I also thought Christopher Robin really rocked and was under underappreciated. Um, really, yeah. I haven't heard anything good about that. Oh, I thought Christopher Robin was dope. What a take! Oh man, uh, oh what a take! <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But uh, that's just a, that's just a little 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 wet your appetite, listener, because maybe some flicks we'll talk about coming up here soon. Um. But yeah, that's that's all I got. Signing off of 2018 forever and into the new year, I've been Luke Taylor. I've been Katie Gertzinger. Have a good one, guys.